0: Welcome to Rare Talks about AADC, a podcast that discusses neurometabolic diseases including AADC deficiency in a way that makes sense to us non-medics. The series covers what a rare disease is through to what it's like if a family member is living with a rare disease. As always, before I introduce you to our wonderful guests, it's important that I declare this podcast is funded and produced by PTC Therapeutics. The content of this podcast is based on the speaker's personal opinion and experience. Some content discussed may be specific to the country the speaker lives in and may vary internationally. This information does not constitute medical advice, so always speak to your doctor about any questions you may have. Today we're joined by Ivana, an engineer by trade and patient advocate by calling. Ivana is the founder and president of the patient association Little Brave One that brings together families and children suffering from neurotransmitter and neurometabolic diseases with the mission to improve their treatment, health and social protection. Hello Ivana, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, it's my pleasure to be today here. So I guess I've just mentioned Little Brave Ones in kind of the intro. Maybe we should start with that. Um, You're the founder and president, but why did you start this patient association?
1: The primary reason for starting and founding the association is my little girl, Anna. Uh, She has proved to be a real brave one in fighting a neurotransmitter disease, tyrosine hydroxylase deficiency, and bravely fighting for the diagnosis and the
0: treatment. You obviously went through a journey yourself and Anna. What did you think was missing? What help did you think was missing that you um, that you now are trying to achieve with Little Brave One?
1: I was missing
0: information.
1: So I felt we were in the dark when uh, my daughter was experiencing different symptoms and uh, I couldn't uh, find out why. And um, healthcare system was not able to provide answer and peer support was not able
0: to provide answers. So you spoke about your um, daughter having symptoms. Do you mind taking a step back and maybe telling us about Anna's early childhood? Um, You know, when did you start having concerns about her health? I had normal pregnancy and
1: uh, I was okay during every checkup, so everything was fine. I was happy on the delivery day when I was told I gave birth to a healthy child. But um, now when I think about that, her symptoms were actually obvious in early infancy. At the beginning, during, let's say, first month, it was basically just my feeling that something is not okay, but I didn't know what. Uh, she was my first child. I had no experience. I have no medical background and um, I was just worried because she was a nervous baby, always crying, not sleeping well, not eating well. It was not, you know, a sweet baby cry, but a cry where I was not able to comfort her. I checked with the pediatrician, but she didn't see any alarming signs at that point but I felt somehow misunderstood. And at the age of three months, my daughter wouldn't open her fists. She had no head control. Her movements were just slow. She was floppy and um, she was not developing and improving as a typical child. When she was four months old, she would go from floppy baby to a rigid in seconds. Her hands and her back would arch in an uncomfortable position and she would cry. It was really difficult to do simple mother-baby tasks such as changing her clothes due to those rigidity in her arms. I was explaining to the physicians that she has repetitive and weird twisting movements in her arms, which I learned later were dystonic movements. There was also uh, the shaking, the tremor, and the oculogyric crisis. At first, uh, I was naive to think that she was just looking at something interesting above. Um, After a while, I realized that there was nothing to look at. It was just an involuntary eye movement that was like a gaze upward. And those movements would last for hours and repeating almost every day. She also had weird tongue movements, so she wouldn't be able to eat or to drink. She couldn't swallow anything. And it was really difficult watching those episodes. I wasn't able to comfort her and it was by the time when she was five months old that I got really concerned about her health. The time was passing and there were no answers on my daughter's condition. And as she was growing, the symptoms were just
0: more severe. How often did these symptoms occur? Was it, you know, was she going from floppy to rigid, like once a week, once a day, these involuntary eye movements, how often were they happening? It was on daily basis.
1: And as she was getting older, it was more frequent and more severe. For example, when she was 4 months old, it would happen once in a week. But by the time she was 9 months old, it was just on a daily basis and it would last for hours every day.
0: You mentioned, you know, you had this feeling like from the start and you went to have your checkup with your four week old and you were like, oh, I've got this feeling, but you felt like, I guess, everything seemed fine in that checkup. What about um, at home? What about people around you? Did they just think, oh, she's a new mum. She's just over worrying about everything. Is that is that kind of how you felt?
1: Exactly, especially for the first month when, you know, you go for a checkup at pediatrician to hear that everything is well. I I expressed my worries. I was checking with other moms and I was seeing their happy babies, and mine was all nervous. And that was my feeling. But you know, I was hearing, you know, that she's just a little late, it will be okay. And at that moment, it was not helpful for me. It was different from the reality. In reality, my child was not okay. At at first, uh, weeks and months, the pediatrician didn't actually see uh, that something bad was going on.
0: We're kind of obsessed in the UK with milestones. So, in like the first six weeks, you have to have a, a checkup with your newborn and they go through milestones. And then you have um, health visitors um, like regularly coming in to see what your baby can do. And there's quite a big emphasis on missed milestones. Did you have to go through kind of a series of missed milestones to understand what was going on with Anna? Yes, the healthcare
1: system here is similar. For example, first milestone is checked when the baby is three months old, and that is the time when she should have her head control, but she was late on that one. Now I think that those alarms should be seen more seriously at the first milestone. The child doesn't reach first milestone, they should start a diagnostic procedure immediately.
0: You said a few things kind of going on with those missed milestones. So it was um, kind of, she was really floppy. She couldn't hold her head up. She was kind of making involuntary movements with her eyes. She was closing her fist. Some of those kind of symptoms like often sound like like epilepsy. Did you find that she, people thought she had epilepsy or it, was it hard to diagnose? It was basically
1: doctors, tests, more tests, more specialists, Lots of Google search, collaboration with physicians and actually traveling abroad to get a diagnosis. So um, let me just uh, introduce you uh, to the background. Uh, My daughter was born in 2013 and uh, we live in Serbia, where at that moment, uh, many diagnostic procedures were not available. I will share our journey, which lasted for 14 months so for the first few months uh, my daughter was seen uh, only as a slightly floppy baby so no particular tests were done when she was five months old we uh, were admitted to a hospital for tests uh, because of the symptoms i previously explained and we spent three weeks in the hospital um, many blood urine tests were done, many scans such as um, CTs and MRI were performed. Also, EEG and EMNG, uh, one to check if she has epileptic seizures and another to check her muscles. When, when she was having oculogyric crisis, I thought it was epileptic seizures and some neurologists thought it was epileptic seizures because it looks like that. So it takes really a a good knowledge to um, define those slight differences in symptoms to be able to suspect a diagnosis. So my, my daughter was also checked for a stroke And uh, metabolic tests were performed, basic genetic tests were done, and it all came back clear. So, on the paper, my daughter was healthy, but looking at her health conditions, her crisis and all um, uh, movement uh, symptoms, her developmental issues, it was obvious that something was wrong. So after all tests were negative, we were admitted to um, two other hospitals in Serbia, and it was all uh, done again. More specific tests were included, such as um, cerebrospinal fluid tests. All came back clear. And at one moment, she was suspected to have a cerebral palsy. A physiotherapist said that um, she wouldn't say it is uh, a CP. And she also mentioned how my daughter has kind of sleepy eyes. And uh, what was not typical for cerebral palsy is that during physiotherapy, my daughter would um, get worse. The doctor mentioned was that my daughter looked like she was missing the dopamine or something. At that point, I had no idea what dopamine was. So I went home to Google and I remember I spent hours adding keywords such as motoric delay, dystonia, upward eye gaze, and I added lack of dopamine to that search. And somehow, I, um, after hours, I ended up searching neurotransmitter diseases and I actually managed to find a YouTube video of a boy who had the same symptoms as my daughter. He was diagnosed with ADC, and his mother posted that video of his symptoms. I saw a video um, of a boy from California who was diagnosed with THD, and he also had um, similar symptoms. So uh, that was the moment when I felt I was on the right path. Her neurologist explained that the clinical picture is really similar and she would run further tests but there was no laboratory in Serbia who could do it. We decided to travel from Serbia to Germany, and my my daughter was 14 months old when we were admitted to hospital in Heidelberg, and among many tests that they did, uh, the most valuable was checking neurotransmitters in cerebrospinal fluid. That is how um, THD was suspected, and confirmed later by uh, genetic testing. And um, I'm really thankful to those families who shared it online. It was really helpful for me to see and to somehow uh, start new discussion with physicians about um, neurotransmitter diseases. I actually remember having um, mixed feelings when she was diagnosed. It was a 14 months long journey that has finally finished. And I believe that getting a diagnosis feels like a cure by itself, regardless of the availability of treatments.
0: One of the things I was gonna ask you is it seems like quite a lonely process going through this. So where did you go to for information support? You've mentioned Google quite a lot. Is that where you found out your information? Actually, I looked everywhere. Um, First line is always
1: a physician, and I would underline that it is important to keep communication with the physicians. It takes a teamwork to put uh, that diagnostic puzzle together. I approached pediatricians, child neurologists, uh, genetic experts, physiotherapists. I kept asking for second opinions, going to different hospitals and different healthcare specialists. But additionally, I looked in every source that was available to me, from published papers via books for medical students. You know, I remember buying a book, uh, Neurology for Medical Studies, peer support, social media groups, both national and international sources. I was checking different websites. For example, the website aboutadcd.eu contains valuable information and helpful resources. Uh, I I really remember spending days and nights online. I was researching and watching YouTube videos of similar content. I was checking websites of children's hospitals to see uh, diagnostic possibilities
0: they offer. Do you think an earlier and accurate diagnosis could have helped you? Or, I guess, why is an early and accurate diagnosis so important? Oh, yes,
1: I think that early and accurate diagnosis is highly important. So we know from any disease that outcome is better if you start the treatment in time. It is the same with rare neurotransmitter diseases. You know, it is also highly important to have a diagnose uh, in case a family is planning more children. That is actually why I am doing my advocacy work and raising awareness on rare neurotransmitter diseases. So with this desire to help um, little ones to be diagnosed and to have appropriate treatments as soon as possible. And with the desire to raise awareness of the existence of these disorders, their treatments and further research, that was the reason um, to to found the association. So our primary goal within uh, the Little Brave One Association is to keep everyone informed and to support early diagnostic procedures.
0: I guess let's talk about you for a minute. Obviously, this story has been, um, you know, all about Anna's journey, but I guess, Getting that diagnosis, what did that mean to you as a mother?
1: It is really a burden. That journey is really all highs and lows and ups and downs. It is turbulent. Sometimes there were more lows than highs. For example, there were moments where I felt so lonely and misunderstood while I was waiting for the diagnosis of my child. I was in a place where I was providing care for my sick child. I was in my PhD studies when I became a mother. So um, before uh, Anna's health issues, I thought that, you know, well, she's a baby. I will maybe finish some exams and get prepared for my PhDs. I was not able to finish my PhD studies or continue my career all of a sudden it was not important. I was only interested in my daughter's health. It took uh, a while for me to um, understand and to accept everything that happened. How is she doing now? I'm happy to say that my daughter is very well now. She's over the expectations. So she's eight and a half years old and she's uh, second grade of elementary school. She's doing well at school. She loves um, ice skating and riding a bicycle. And she switched from physiotherapies to real sports. So she practiced Taekwondo three times a week. So, you know, she's a typical
0: child now. What does her care look like now? How many appointments are there? Who does she see? She's
1: uh, regularly seen by a
0: child neurologist,
1: by genetics. Uh, we do regular, um, you know, blood, urine tests and checking heart. But um, it is, let's say, once in six months that we go for regular checkups. In in case uh, we notice something, you know, as she's growing up, the medications need to be titrated but let's say once
0: or or twice in a year we are regular in hospital. So in terms of I guess your day-to-day now, do you worry more about you know being an eight-year-old, having friends, doing well at school and then her disease is in kind of the background? Well the disease is always there,
1: you know. You find your way to accept it and to uh, provide best quality of life as possible. My child has her treatments. She swallows pills four times a day. So additional support is needed and probably will be needed for quite
0: some time. It's it's just not a burden for us anymore. For anyone listening to this and thinking I'm going through this right now, what would be your top, I guess, top three? What's your top three pieces of advice?
1: First uh, one would be be brave. Second would be um, be open to an absolutely new journey of your life. And third would be have hope. So by being brave, I uh, don't assume that you shouldn't have mixed feelings, emotions, fears. It is normal to be afraid. Being brave means being able to accept all those feelings, fears, doubts, emotions, and still keep brave and do your best to give a voice to your child and by being open to a new journey I mean being aware that it will bring challenges and open completely new perspective so you should be open to it also be open to a new community you will build and reach for help so know that you are not alone and by having hope Um, I mean to encourage you uh, to not give up. There will be many unclear situations, difficulties, unknowns, ups and downs and um, please have hope and uh, believe in miracles. Treatments are just around the corner. The diagnostic journey can be long and very exhausting. Having hope to a good
0: outcome should be helpful. Have you seen many parents searching for a diagnosis for their child? As I guess a lot of people listening to this are probably in that kind of stage where they're on the journey, but they're not sure where to go next or what to do. Do you see a lot of parents searching for a diagnosis?
1: Yes, yes. There is the community of uh, families whose uh, children are not diagnosed and there are many people like searching and trying to get diagnose for their child. Most physicians will never see a rare disease patient in their career. It is really um, a pleasure to to, to provide support, to try to lead them to a way where they will be able to get the diagnosis as early as possible.
0: And where would you send them to go for help?
1: I would actually summarise it uh, in a way that communication with physicians and teamwork is highly important. However, all other resources are helpful and beneficial. There are published guidelines, papers, social media groups and platforms. There are valuable resources available at websites, such as the website aboutadc.eu. So it's it's really out there and I, I encourage families to um, reach out, you know, don't close yourself, open the door, ask for um, second opinions, um, look for another experience and it will
0: help you to find your path to a diagnosis. Ivana, thank you so much for joining the Rare Talks about AADC podcast. I appreciate your story so personal. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. And thank you for sharing kind of places to go for help. Thank you. It was really uh, uh, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to share thank you to everyone for listening. In our next episode, we'll be discussing what day-to-day life looks like for a child living with a rare disease. And in the meantime, as Ivana mentioned, if you are looking for information on AADC deficiency, then please go to aboutaadc.eu for information on how to spot signs, symptoms, there's helpful resources on there, and um, there's more interviews with parents and carers. So until next time, goodbye.